KCO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guest hosts or callings may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Hello world, this is TJ Morris and you're listening to ET Radio. We are sponsored tonight by American Communications Online. So, hello everybody. We're going to get here with our co-producers and our uh, co-hosts tonight, and we're going to bring you a great show. We're really excited about it. We're doing oral archives tonight with some real old timers, and they don't mind me saying that because we're going to pay homage to all the people that we or may or may not know about. So let's get started here. Let me introduce my uh, co-pilot here and my co-producer. Uh, co-producer, Thomas R. Becker. Can you hear me now from Georgia or in Georgia? Yes, ma'am. All right. Go yes, ahead ma'am. and introduce yourself, please, to Jan and Barry and the entire world. I'm Thomas R. Becker. I'm commonly known as a mad painter on the Internet, and I'm an author, radio host, producer, artist, a uh, pretty strange guy most of the time. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's a great guy that helps us in graphics, design, helping me uh, learn how to run this company. Let me get the other pilot on here. Ken R. Johnston, Sr., former Grumman civilian astronaut pilot kind of guy, former Marine. Can you hear me now? Oh, I got you loud and clear. We're all set to go. All right. You want to introduce it a little bit about yourself? So, Jan and Barry, I'll just get the basics of you being an archivist. Oh, yeah. We probably we probably have um, run into meetings together way back in the the late '60s and early '70s. I was one of the first four civilian astronaut uh, consultant pilots on the Apollo program with the Grumman Oro, Grumman Corporation that built the lunar module. And my job, along with the other three guys, was to test the uh, lunar module in the vacuum chambers and then help train the astronauts how to fly it so that they could go to the moon and they get the credit. It was a great program, and it was a, a great honor to be a part of it. And now it's it's our job to be sure that the rest of the information comes out for the rest of the world to find out that there were things that went on that not everybody was told about. So hang on. The rest of these people were part of it too. Thank you so much. All right. There's somebody else here. Let me see who this is because we're going to get Jan Jan, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay, great. This is Jan Aldrich, everybody. Let me see who this 847 number is I don't recognize. 847, are you just calling in? Are you helping us tonight from another association? I guess just calling in. Okay. Jan Aldrich and Barry Greenwood are over in the Chicago area they're actually uh, have many, many years with various organizations, associations, including uh, Jan was 25 years with the government and then another 25 years with the government. So, Jan, tell us what that was like and then how you met this Barry Greenwood guy, because you're both authors and we want to get you in all our associations and the who's who and the all these associations. So give us an idea, Jan. Introduce yourself. Are yeah, not? Okay, we're going to have trouble tonight. Let's try that again. Jan Aldrich, can you introduce yourself? 
Uh, you can't. Uh, I spent 25 years in the army and uh, 25 years in the post office. So uh, I've been stealing from the government for 50 years now. Uh, All right. <laughs> the. Uh, I, I was interested uh, when I was a kid, so it's I've been, almost as long as I've been stealing from the government, I've been interested in UFOs. Um, when I retired, I really have a chance to uh, uh, get very serious into uh, working on it. And what we're doing here at uh, in Chicago is uh, we are uh, digitizing the uh, Kufos files as much as we can get done in two weeks. It's, uh, it's quite a, uh, 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 a task. It's one of those things that Hercules would have to do, you know, put, put a river through this, uh, area here and wash away all these files. Um, uh, my friend and colleague here is uh, Barry Greenwood. He is the uh, co-author of uh, Clear Intent, which is uh, one of the <laughs> very first books to put together and um, document um, the government involvement. So uh, I'll let him say hello. Great. Yes, hello. Ah, Mr. Greenwood, I presume. <laughs> That's me. Wonderful to hear your voice, sir. Uh, tell us about yourself. I just found out today you were an author, and uh, we're going to get you some listings with all our groups and associations. But uh, Barry, please, I know you've been around and you've been on another show. Uh, tell us anything you're willing to share about your long history on the planet. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I've been around for 66 years, and uh, I think about over 50 of those have been spent dealing with UFO reports. Wow. I've worked for the post office, too, like Jan. I was in there for about 38 years, so Goodness. I retired <laughs> about 10 years ago. And uh, uh, back in 1984, I wrote a book called Clear Intent, with a fellow named Lawrence Fawcett, who was a police officer in Connecticut. And it was intended to reveal the results of Freedom of Information Act requests to the government for any documents related to UFO reports. And we had received, I think, up to the time of the book's publishing, uh, about 4,000 pages of records, and that's what the book summarizes. Okay. Uh, you want to share any more about yourself? Uh, anything else that you feel like is a landmark on your timeline? Did you meet uh, oh. the president or anything? Uh, who's the most famous well, person uh, you ever met? <laughs> no, we uh, actually, after the book was published, uh, uh, Larry Fawcett and I uh, sort of reignited a group called cause it was citizens against ufo secrecy and and it was going to uh, continue the process of filing FOIA requests with uh, in conjunction with many other researchers and i think since that time we've probably 
way more than double the amount of paperwork that's been released on the subject by at least a gov- dozen government agencies. So uh, we're inundated with information, and uh, I think around 1998, when uh, the the FOIA, as I call it, uh, was watered down quite a bit, uh, we weren't able to use it as effectively as we did in the 70s and 80s. So <clears throat> with, with that, uh, we were able to switch over to something else that I think was just as important as finding government documents, and that was uh, archival research and, and documenting the history of the uh, UFO phenomenon since the early years and even before the early years because uh, I, I think we can show that uh, sighting reports of strange phenomena, strange objects, uh, had had gone on well before the start of the modern UFO era. So uh, that's preoccupied us in, in more recent years, and we're trying to save uh, archives that are out there that are little known and and are in grave danger of disappearing. Well, we really believe in conserving and observing and reporting, but also we do what we like to think is protection. And a lot of us prior military and you even in the post office remember sleeves. Are you guys using sleeves? Are you just taking them out of whatever they come and scanning them into your phones? Or tell us about the process and the the oldest documents you've got there in your files, and then we'll get into the, how this one get involved in a project like this because we can talk to you later on about with our guest uh, producer and and co-host here but uh, we're all aware that tonight is an oral record for you so uh, we're just getting to know you guys but how, how do you guys get this project rolling and what's your process sitting there in Chicago uh, as far as Chicago goes, the uh, the organization that, that uh, is here now and had been here since 1973 is called the Center for UFO Studies, and uh, it's it, it was run by the former Air Force consultant to uh, uh, on UFOs, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, and he began the group in 1973 to uh, take up where essentially the Air Force had left off back in uh, 1970 where they abandoned uh, the old Project Blue Book. And uh, Dr. Hynek and and his associates gathered together hordes of sighting reports, not only old ones but newer ones, and actively investigated them with a network of field investigators. And uh, I think about 2010 or so, uh, uh, Kufos had to leave their headquarters, and uh, you know, with the money situation the way it is now out there, it's it's very difficult to uh, uh, finance uh, research like that. It tends to be fairly expensive, and you need facilities, you need personnel, you need uh, uh, the ability to pay bills. So uh, a lot of the old organizations that thrived at one time had to disperse into uh, essentially private homes, and the files were protected by the people who once worked for the organizations. Kufos currently is uh, 
is housed in uh, a, a place in Skokie, Illinois, and that's where we're at now. And uh, okay. there's a lot of files to take care of here. It, it's at least, I counted 58 file drawers worth of things that have to be processed and uh, preserved. So you don't have the whole QFO's uh, J. Allen Hynek office, every possible physical file there, do you, that was actually Well, no, it, 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 it's divided. It, it's divided um, between the, uh, the scientific director, uh, Mark Rodiger, and uh, we had to put uh, a lot of the files in uh, the members' homes and I think a number of people have them, but the bulk of the casework is is where I'm at now in Skokie, and that's what we're trying to process. It's it's a very daunting task to deal with because if you look at an average file drawer, it's about two feet long and it's packed, absolutely packed with files in each drawer, and they cover UFO history from. Uh, well, I, I think some of the earliest files were from the 16, 1700s up until roughly 1989 or so, and uh, that's that's what we're trying to duplicate, and we're doing it uh, uh, 24 hours a day practically. Any opportunity well, to process it, we do it. Whose responsibility was that when Dr. Al, uh, J. Allen Hynek passed in '86? Is it from 86 to 2019 that uh, we just didn't yeah. uh, give the, the funds? Because we don't want to make that mistake again in 2020 coming up. We're all organizing all these associations. We hope to be better prepared for our uh, databases. Of course, it yeah, takes a total yeah. force. And I know you're providing some, and Jan is. Give us an idea of where we've dropped the ball from when uh, 86. Give us some heads up like the model we used and what we should be doing in 2020, if you don't mind. It can just be your opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't speak for the organization. I'm, I, I'm not one of the operating people for it, but yeah, I'm very familiar with it. And uh, after Dr. Hynek passed away, it was uh, run by uh, Dr. Mark Rodiger, who was uh, the director since that time, and he still is in, in, in essence, even though there's, there's not a particular headquarters building for it, uh, uh, he oversees the operations and uh, he has a great interest in preserving the files. The, the big problem is that uh, uh, all of the things I had mentioned before about running an organization, finances, personnel, and all are uh, sadly lacking. It's very difficult to get people to uh, uh, do this because the organizations tend to exist only in a few places. And you have to draw from that, uh, from those locations to be able to uh, get working personnel to do things. And uh, UFOs are admittedly a very arcane subject and, and people can't be paid very well. Uh, most of the help comes uh, in, by volunteers, and uh, they they can do good work, but it's it's difficult to get a, a consistency to uh, having an organization be successful. Money is the most important thing. It's just not there. It's not UFOs used to be a major topic in the media, and and 
up until recent times it had uh, it had slipped off but uh, with the revelations of uh, navy ufo reports in late 2017 it's somewhat revived but uh, it's still not completely there so yeah, we're we're hoping that is is a surge of new interest uh, on the part of the public, and we're trying to preserve the information so that they can see what constituted the history of the phenomenon. Well, how can we all work together? Because we've got so many people that are uh, waking up to the fact that this may be a real part of our reality it's not just in our minds and we're doing our best to work with ACO Association and the consciousness and spiritual science ET science part of that and then we've got some other groups that I've been working with for at least seven years on the radio a mad painter here has been working with 90 radio people and Ken has been working with other people and uh, whether we approve of them or appreciate them or not like Richard Hoagland and uh, I don't know, Ken's just been a face at some of these uh, at, around. And then, of course, I went by Roswell UFO Museum years ago and met Glenn Dennis and Walter, How- uh, Saint- oh, what was her name? Sally Hester was running that museum uh, library at the time, and they had just gotten in a lot of uh, paperwork. Uh, and it seems that there's, like you said, they're spread out. So. Help yeah. uh, help us out here, you and Jean. I hope you guys are going to help us do a brain uh, think tank mastermind because we want to know all the people that you feel like around the world that you just know honorable mention, like uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee mentioned Jan, and then he told me about you. So you see how it yeah, works? Well, yeah, we all yeah. don't know each other even. we got a network, <laughs> right? And it, it's a network. It's like a chain. Everybody knows uh, another link further up the chain that other people don't know about. So uh, they, they all tend to bind together and try to do the same thing, but sometimes with different philosophies about what the phenomenon is. But uh, I, I think they're all trying to get to the same goal in, in getting good information out. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but we just pick up the pieces and, and go on from there. The, the big problem is, uh, like I said, it, the organizations are located in a, a few locations uh, that, that are hard to access for, I think, a majority of the public. And and what we're trying to do to alleviate that is to get the material electronically scanned so that you don't have to travel to these places and dig through files and, and uh, spend a lot of money and at, at hotels and, and uh, uh, maintaining a, a presence for a week or two, which uh, really doesn't accomplish much when you're dealing with a large amount of information. You can get a few things done, but overall, you'd, you'd like to spend a lot more time, and most people can't do that. So if we make the information available uh, electronically on, on different websites, uh, uh, that would help a lot to educate people on, on what the subject's all about. And that's what we're actively trying to do. Well, uh, we're going to do our best to hook up links like I did back in the early days in uh, the government and just set up uh, links 
uh, we, like we do for universities and libraries, but this is a daunting task, and I've always been interested in the UFO business, but we're going to try to add RSS feeds. If everybody is, out there is listening, that if you have a uh, if you're contributing and paying for your own uh, server or web hosting or uh, just a, even if it's just a WordPress blog or skin, uh, we'd like to talk to you and see if you can help us help uh, Jan Aldrich and Barry Greenwood starting this huge project with QFOs and uh, NUFOs. North, uh, tell us the other groups that you're working with, please, that are already associated. Uh, probably Jan can speak more to that than I can. I, I tend to be isolated in those stacks looking through things, and I don't network that much, but I think Jan can help. Hold okay. On. Well, we may be able to get back to you if you find some certain ones uh, or names that mentioned of anybody that's, helped, like you said, been sort of a cottage industry since uh, J. Allen Hynek has passed. So uh, you may could collect those names if they're willing to allow them to be, you know, orally uh, talked about here. Where this gets saved. <laughs> you want Jan to tell us anything about the different groups? And uh, Matt and uh, Ken, I'm sure, have questions. But you want to put Jan on the phone then? Yeah, okay, I'm here. Hi, Jan. Uh, give us yeah. an idea of the various groups that you've got involved with helping you or any names because uh, Dr. Bruce McAbee asked me to assist with the AI of the intelligence world. He was our national director, but his wife, Jan, uh, up there in that area near Chicago and Ohio. Now, uh, Jan has stepped up to help us with uh, social media on Facebook, and we've got a lot of people out there with groups and our moderators, plus various uh, UFO radio uh, shows are just talk shows that are willing to ask us or ask us to help them uh, with names they can bring on. So with all that said, can you help us out here with some of the stuff you know and the groups? And now we're looking for how can we make all of this better so we know each other and people don't slip through because, you know, they don't have to be in the limelight for their clubs or associations. A lot of them slip through the cracks. You know, like a postman, right? You lose their letter. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I, I think uh, the main problem in ufology is everybody wants to be a general and nobody wants to be a private. Ah, I'll nobody wants to do grunt. <laughs> yeah, no uh, uh, grunt work. And see, I'm here with Barry Greenwood, and he's, you know, he won't let me do any serious work here. He he told me to do 1970. I mean, there's hardly any records for 1970. <laughs> oh, he gets and to he have told all me, the he told, he, I, I'm in the other room there, and he told me, don't come back in here anymore because I keep asking him, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And he said, go, <laughs> go back well, there and stop. What does he have? Yeah, yeah. He says, he says, uh, listen, uh, you're supposed to scan the files, not just read them. Oh. I, I'm having a lot of trouble with him. He's, 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 uh, you know, uh, uh, actually, that's that's what we're doing here. We're doing a, uh, this is a big grunt work project. It's and it's a it's a real pain and. Um, 
uh, we're, uh, Barry's going through 1957. Well, <clears throat> that's when NICAP started, and that was the year of the. It was a giant flap in uh, November, and uh, he just had a uh, a handful of clippings that had been stapled together and hadn't been touched since. November of 1957. It's just a giant ball of of newspaper clippings, which he had to uh, uh, go ahead and mount, and uh, so we so we could scan them. Um, the amount of press in 1957 is just unbelievable. It's uh, probably only uh, surpassed by 52 or uh, 67. It's uh, 66, 67. It's an uh, incredible amount of uh, press here. That, uh, quite frankly, some of the some of the stuff, uh, the the origins, the the newspapers that had it in there, don't exist anymore. And in some cases, the uh, stories, you know, may not have. Uh, this may be the only copies here in a lot of cases. Anyways, um, yeah, so what, uh, 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 Michael Swords heads, uh, uh, well, he, we're just colleagues. I, I won't say he heads it, but he's the, the first among equals, uh, history group. We, we've got about 40 people that, uh, uh, work in that one way or another. And the, the product of that was UFOs in Government, a, a book. Uh, we've got uh, 10 co-authors on that, uh, um, Michael Swords and uh, uh, Robert Powell are the, the main editors. And then uh, we have a fellow from Spain who wrote on the Spanish uh, UFO files, and we... Uh, we had one from uh, Australia that wrote about government uh, interaction with UFOs in Australia. Um, so we've had, uh, we've got uh, a worldwide selection of people uh, that are involved here. We've had Klaus uh, Vaughn, he wrote the, uh, about the uh, Swedish archives. Swedish archives are completely open. There's just a few things that uh, uh, you still can't get. Uh, back to the 1946 Ghost Rocket era, and then uh, uh, the modern stuff. And the Swedes, of course, were one of the first because they they started with the Ghost Rockets and. Right after the Ghost Rockets finished, UFOs came on the scene, and some of the same engineers in the air intelligence uh, handled that. It was just, you know, just uh, a continuation of what they had been doing before. So we have we have a, a number of contacts worldwide in Italy, uh, the UK. Uh, Australia, Canada, um, 
as far as uh, organizations other than MUFON, there's not very many active organizations um, doing uh, serious work. Um uh, uh, when I was when I was at Kufos, I talked to uh, Dr. John Reed, who has the uh, Fortean Charles Fort's uh, notes. Wow! Uh, he got him quite quite by accident. He got him quite by accident. This <laughs> this fellow well, had him in his house. Out. Yeah, this, share that story. This, this fellow was uh, he he had this. His house, and uh, he was getting ready to move, and he had all these cabinets, and they were full of the fort's uh, notes, and he was getting ready to throw fort's notes out, and somehow, somehow he he thought that maybe he should contact somebody, and John John went up there, and it was just amazed at what he got, so he. he works at uh, at a university, and he has uh, access to some money. So he got the notes, and he's got uh, s- some people in the F- uh, Philippines who, you know, they can read English, and uh, he's got them working on organizing the notes. And then there's a uh, Mr. X, and that's his official name. He had his name changed to Mr. X in Canada. He is verifying the entries because Fort was very, uh, I mean, he had his own uh, shorthand for things. Oh, wow. You know, he, so, <laughs> okay. he, you know, American Philosophical Society might be uh, A-M-P-H-I-L- SOC. Well, that's pretty easy. That pretty, you know, well says it. I think that's what they use on their for their own abbreviation. But some of his stuff is really obscure. But Mr. X is is familiar with uh, a lot of the scientific and uh, other types of publications. So he's trying to verify and actually put together a library of <clears throat> of what's on Fort's notes now. Fort didn't just use his notes for the uh, for his books. He also had other, you know, uh, things that he'd found that he hadn't he hadn't written about yet. So it's uh, it's quite a collection. So uh, uh, John's doing that, um, and he has uh, contacts uh, around the world in and in academia. So. Um, that's, uh, and he got me aside at, the uh, UFO history group and uh, said, uh, he, he gave me about 50 things that he thought ufologists should be doing yet. And I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, right. When we get an Institute of Ufology and we have about a thousand workers, we'll get some of this stuff done. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that. We sure are. Barry Greenwin and Jan Aldrich, folks, uh, two of the great ufologists taking interest. Uh, they're also historians, and and uh, I don't know if we would say alienologists yet. I think they're more nuts and bolts is the way they say it, the kids say it today. But uh, ufologists, alienologists, and we're talking about Charles, uh, why do I want to say Charles? Is it 
John Fort, Fortian, the Fortian records, is that what we're discussing? Yeah, Charles Fort. The, uh, he he wrote four four books uh, on on anomalies, not just UFOs, but um, some people call him the father of ufology. I thought he was the father of uh, paranormal everything. So, uh, okay, I didn't ever heard that he was the father of ufology, but I, I'm right. amazed. That's wonderful with you saying that with 50 years uh, government history. Uh, I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> well, can I call you both ufologists? I know I cl- claim that you are our lead historian, but uh, I'm going to put Barry Greenwood and Jan Aldrich, ufologist in all caps, in the, in the uh, description while I can, still can. <laughs> okay. Because... Uh, it, will you claim that, or you want me just to say your yeah, sure, story? Sure. Now, um, okay, so explain what the ufologist does, because we break it down in the business for the kids these days to, uh, in our science, is uh, alienologist, cosmologist, phenomenologist, ufologist, <laughs> not to mention all the crypto and cryptex and kryptonites and cryptoids <laughs> x-files well we have all these ufo events and we're having them where they dress up we're putting gaming with our uh computer people androids with the apple you know so the kids have no clue what we're going through with the old guys saying what we are so i'm real happy that dr bruce McAbee encouraged our aco to take on Alien Contact Organization and UFO Association and combine them. So we're using the initials ACO and UFO, and he suggested we uh, get you guys involved because you guys are the AI. And he said, you know what AI is, don't you? And I said, well, uh, artificial intelligence? He said, no, ancient investigators. So you need to call Jan Aldrich, (laughs) and he'll fill you in. So... I guess you're going to be the first ufologist that's called an AI now. But go ahead. Give us your version of what a ufologist is for all the old guys. And we'll, we'll, I'm sure I'll get a lot of emails and call-ins about all these people. But give, give me your best shot. What's a ufologist? Well, you know, it's, it's like everything else. There's people that specialize in things. Some people go out and investigate cases. Um, some people uh, organize uh, uh, files uh, and look for patterns. There, um, there's a, a lot of tasks involved. Uh, and like I was saying, I John Reed asked me. He started asking me this. Uh, oh well, has anybody uh, anybody checked the lighthouse logs? And I said, "Yes, yeah, sure, John. We got we got ten people working at the archives right now, going through right lighthouse logs." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in your dreams, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I I went through some in 1947, and it's a real pain. I went through some Coast Guard uh, ships logs, but the Coast Guard doesn't file things by UFO. They file it by incident date location or if there's a ship involved it's filed under the ship so if you so 
if you're looking for UFOs involving the Coast Guard, you have to know what you're looking for before you go look for it. It's, uh, so if you don't know, then it's turn over one page after the other or read one log book after the other. Um, well, unless you're it's more archivist or librarian. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I heard a space there for a minute. I was going to say, uh, if you can help us all out as ufologists, which I am not one, uh, I've been called that at one time with Stan Friedman because I wrote for UFO Digest, and I did a few, you know, investigations as a real investigator, paid for, meaning you know, money-wise. But when there's no money involved, it's sort of a volunteer thing, which most of us are at here. So help us out here. So I know sometimes MUFON in the past has uh, had training, but they got that star investigator going, and then Bigelow came in. But you know that whole story, I'm sure. Tell people, how many years have you paid your dues for MUFON or KUFOs or any others to be a part of a group? Can you give us a history? When I got back from overseas in in '94, I I started uh, uh, getting more serious about it. After before that, it, if you're in the military, you you don't have much free time. No, but after don't. after I I retired, I, I I more or less got so '94. I got involved with a uh, Fufor and Kufos and. Uh, MUFON. Uh, in fact, they had the UFO uh, uh, Research Coalition, and Bigelow funded that for about a year. It still exists, though. It's on paper, and they still have they still have uh, treasury and everything. So uh, <clears throat> I got a grant from the uh, research uh, coalitions, and that's how Project 1947 started. Uh, was an investigation of the beginnings of the UFO era, and I also wanted to look from 1900 till about 1965. Um, Well, you can't possibly have every UFO just because of what you said, personnel and lack of funds, and it wasn't digitized back then. So tell us. Uh, I'm not complaining at all. I'm just trying to help us all out here because we're trying to get us where people like you that have done the grunt work, uh, working, you know, from time to time with other people and other associations. uh, I want us to see the best picture we can on this oral archive of what some of the issues have been so we can come up with the solutions, right, in digital land or hyper internet right. or cyberspace well we need we need indexing indexing of um not just publications but uh uh indexing of of uh publications and some of that is going on right now in in europe uh the uh um Association for uh, the Unknown, uh, AFU in Sweden, uh, has uh, giant files that they've accumulated from all over Europe and the United States, and they're placing this uh, a lot of this material online. Um, we need uh, databases. 
and uh, there are two databases in existence right now uh, uh, UFO cat which is uh, as many UFO sightings as can be computerized uh, I, I would say it's over way over a hundred thousand now um, <clears throat> And then the Unicat, which is a more quality uh, type of thing, and that uh, hasn't been much, not much has been done on that in 40 years because uh, uh, Heineck was one of the uh, uh, leading lights in that, and Dr. Willie Smith was uh, uh, the, uh, he, he was the uh, computer expert, and both of them are now passed away. Uh, uh, there, uh, I, I told John Reed, we need to have a, there's so many people that were involved in UFOs at one time or another, especially on the official side. Um, uh, I said, we, we actually need a, uh, a database of, of, uh, maybe who's who, um, uh, Mrs. Helen Barber, uh, she was the, uh, uh, the editor of the Air Intelligence Digest for the Air Whoa. Force. So, so she, uh, she's the, uh, uh, she was there, and uh, General Garland used to ta- uh, task her all the time to do things about UFOs. I mean, she was all you know. Now, if you if you uh, see any of the male guys running around, they hardly mention her. You have to look at the documents to find out she's the one that went around and and and, and got photographs that um, people had forgotten about. They just filed them and forgot. Uh, uh, and she, uh, uh, General Garland, had her uh, look into the possibility that UFOs were uh, a possible German development that the Russians were um, trying to further. Uh, Ruppelt mentions her one time in in his uh, in in all his records that he has. We have his records now. Uh, had a Project Blue Book from fifty uh, one to. 53 he just mentions her one time but she was involved all over the place and in blue book you'll find her every once in a while there but they don't they don't say much about her what she was doing or anything like that um uh, of course her husband was i don't know if he was involved in ufos but the top secret history of air force intelligence (laughs) says something like this uh, Colonel Barber is working in a job which we cannot put in this uh, history here. So <laughs> it's a top secret history, but they couldn't even tell what her husband was doing. It's kind of amazing. Um, the uh, So, uh, like I say, not many people know who uh, she was or what she was doing. Um, there's a fellow named uh, James Brewster. Now, he worked for Republic Aircraft. Now, I don't know how Republic Aircraft got into the UFO business, 
But in the early days, these guys were all the meetings they said they had in the Pentagon. They used to have somebody from Republic Aircraft Corporation, and Brewster was one of them. And Brewster's writing Keogh. So they're talking away in Air Force Intelligence, and he's handing over information, uh, which, you know, Keogh wouldn't take anything that was classified, and I don't think Brewster would offer anything that was classified. But he was feeding Keogh um, information. In fact, in one of his letters, he said, I've gone over to the CIA and tried to get them interested in what's going on. He says, I think I've had some limited limited success. So, um, uh, like I say, he's, he's not well known either. There's, there's, there are a number of people like that. Uh, Charles Zimmerman, uh, I, I, I I saw one ufologist write, uh, I'm not even sure who he was or what he was doing. Well, he was a, he was a, uh, he was a consultant, uh, for Air Force Intelligence, he also worked over in Wright Field. Um, right. right. I've so seen his name in some uh, deeper. Yeah, files. his name is around. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there's uh, uh, there's a lot of people here that are just um, more or less unknown who they were and what they were doing. Um, that's just a small thing, you know. Um, that's right. I just wrote on this. Robert Todd's files. <clears throat> he he had what he called his uh, red file, and it was a, a lot of it was about his correspondence with the National Archives, and he had a guy in there that was friendly to UFOs and uh, helped him out all the time, and uh, <coughs> Todd was asking him, you know, uh, can he look for these things, and he said. He told Todd, he said, listen, we have just a very small staff here at the archives. It's just good enough for what we're doing here, helping people when they come to the archives. We can't undertake giant uh, research projects for you. (coughs) He said, frankly, I know where there's UFO documents and government uh, files. But they're not, you know, they're not readily where you can find them. They're intermixed in everything. And that's what I found when I went to the archives. The thing was, you just turn one page after another. You get, you, you get boxes on Air Force intelligence or uh, Navy, and you just turn pages. And then you find stuff. And uh, um, we've got the, the material that's, uh, you know, in big files, we've got that. We've got the, you know, like the flying disc correspondence for uh, 1947. We've got the the correspondence from 47 to 52. But you need to look in uh, files like briefings, reports, investigations, and. This is a way to do that is to sign that stuff out and turn one page at a time. And uh, some some days you might go for days without finding stuff, and then some days it's uh, uh, it's pretty good. And sometimes the archivists can give you uh, 
hints about where what what might uh, contain something. Um, I found about the uh, 1945, the Second World War, Hanford, just by turning over pages. And there's a thing about aerial intrusions at Hanford and uh, the Fourth Air Force and um, uh, was uh, really uh, upset about this and they uh, they had no uh, assets in the uh, in the Hanford area, so they asked the Navy to uh, uh, intercept anything that came over Hanford, and they moved radar in there so they could uh, uh, find uh, things flying around. And then the Navy had to. We've got three pilots uh, interviews with three pilots that have now passed away that they saw things at Hanford that they were involved in uh, interceptions. Uh, and the, uh, the head of Hanford said after the, after the dro- uh, bombs were dropped on uh, Japan, he gave an interview and he said, yeah, we're ha- we had some kind of aerial intrusion at Hanford. Uh, this is the, you know, uh, the, uh, the head of the organization and, Right after the right in uh, August of 1945, he's admitting this to the press. So, uh, yeah, I'm still here. You need to get a drink of water. Yeah. So, um, this this That's material nice. was not found not not found by any. We didn't have any leads. We didn't know what files to look in. I I had a, a general idea of what files to look in, uh, but uh, once you get the files out, there's there's uh, thousands and thousands of pages of documents, and they're not necessarily organized where you would find UFOs or aerial intrusion or anything like that. Uh, it may be just organized like with the Hanford situation, defense of Hanford. So, you, like I say, you have to look at things one page at a time, and there's not very many people that like to do that. Well, it's like genealogists. We're going to have to come up with a name other than a ufologist, internet researcher, or archivist, or volunteer, uh, but have all of the above. And uh, we're going to have to separate our space agency into those in this in the interstellar, uh, intergalactic, uh, multidimensional, I guess, or interdimensional, you know. But we need some on the ground, the boots on the ground. And it's been suggested that... Uh, Someone that uh, helped network and organize in Facebook, being that we have free social media access to each other, if our people have phones, if they're willing to use their computers, sort of like CSETI, but what we'll do is we will find each other first and get organized by state in the United States of America. And uh, with these radio shows, we can connect to Australia and New Zealand and Norway and Russia or whomever, and apparently China as well, because they're some of my best followers when I 
look at my stats and Google or GoDaddy on my C-Panel, but I've got to train a lot of people. And I used to train people in the Navy, you know, with my little K-Pro and bring it in before we even had computers, really. We had sun and you remember the rooms and that's where Ken comes in because we've asked Ken to be our fleet commander just as a volunteer in these expos he goes to. He's going to one coming up. And we can sign up people that say, you know, I'd really like to help and volunteer. So we've created this allied command organization. Uh oh, I have some feedback. Anybody hear it? Yeah, I hear the speaking on over here. Oh, it's a little dark. No, I don't hear it over here. Oh, oh, it may have been uh, Ken. Well, Ken, we're all in the ACO, Allied Command, but uh, Matt is uh, helping. Uh, we got him to uh, help in GoDaddy yesterday. I got him in on the C panel to do a database with me. Uh, I still hear feedback, but uh, we're going to do our best to support you as our lead historian. And uh, I've got another gentleman that's going to help us. Uh, he's had plenty of experience in uh, various government organizations. He's 10 years younger than me. His name's Richard Pruitt. And he spent many years at uh, various jobs and air marshals. We work with a lot of pilots in and out. And Ralph Rodehag over in Europe wants to help. So we have people that can help us. It depends on their time and what country they're in. But we uh, need a place where at least they feel like we've got a who's who directory. Who's uh, and then we'll try to do our best. I don't know if we'll be able to get grants or not with the space industry, but we're going to have to have people that are like uh, historians. And you've seen how the best genealogists in the Latter-day Saints in Salt Lake, Utah, you know, have they built all over the world for people by names and genealogy. So what do you suggest, uh, like you said, these codes, et cetera? For the joint, uh, because I've been used to working joint, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard, but we've got the veterans, and then we've got uh, those that came after uh, I was in, which uh, Desert Storm, I was 80 to 93, but we need to see, there's plenty of people that need jobs, no doubt, So, and there's plenty of people that need encouragement and something to do with their hands especially if they're in our healing program through the cancer. And I spent a lot of time with uh, the Cancer Society in Moffitt because my daughter just died of cancer, and she was a true warrior. And uh, the American Cancer Society put us up in a building next to Moffitt Cancer Center. So these organizations can come together and work side by side, even if it's in the old uh, – buildings, you know, but, you know, we're going to cyberspace now. So somewhere we're still going to have to have, right now they're saying we're in the cloud. So uh, you and Barry, can you help us form a think tank of various historians before they pass away? Because a lot of people just want to do their own family genealogy. Can we do, uh, I don't know what we're going to call them, genealogy research historians or because we can, we can do the auxiliary allied command with all the different military that have retired. Uh, me, Ken, and uh, Ahmad here could tell you we're putting it together, but we're going to need a whole lot of other people. 
So we were planning on getting people together under ACO or UFO or both at these expos that Ken goes around. Put out, out, I guess, a piece of paper and say, put your name and your email here and uh, we'll try to get back to you and put districts and states. Because you both guys are up north and you can't travel all over the world helping people learn how to do this. But we're going to need some trainers so I'm open to both of you guys' opinion. Like you said, we need some boots on the ground and some people willing to put well, in the we, we See, this is this is the United States. Everybody's independent. Everybody's got their own ideas, and everybody wants to be a general. Nobody wants to be a, a grunt. So that's what you've got. Now, in Italy, they're 10 years ahead of us. Um, uh when uh, when scanning first started, they said, all right, uh, everybody in the organization get the same kind of scanners that are all compatible with each other. Then start scanning your own files and send it to a, to a central area. <clears throat> that's, that's long before we did anything like that in the United States. <clears throat> Uh, when the uh, Italians, uh, uh, Italian Air Force let their files, opened up their files, uh, they found that there were missing uh, uh, cases. So these guys went through the bureaucracy, uh, went through the bureaucracy and uh, located where these things had been uh uh, pigeonholed or uh, didn't get sent forward and found out where they were and got them released. Of course, you can't do that in the United States because we've we've made an enemy of the government. They don't want to hear our stuff anymore. And there's so many conspiracy theories, it's unbelievable. <coughs> Uh, uh, I, I do have a, a long list of uh, intelligence products I'd like to see. I got about 1,100. Um, for a while, we were able to get some of them under the FOIA, but uh, that that is uh, almost impossible. Some of these things have, I've, I've uh, had requests in for over 10 years. Um, well, on on the inside, so uh, there, uh, like I say, there I, I've got eleven thousand, but I bet you I, or eleven hundred. I bet you I could come up with uh, a like number if I did some more research or had people helping me do research on 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 these. Uh, on, the, on the inside too, though, Jan. To be honest with you, I've been on both sides of that coin. Well, we you know down. the 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 people that. Uh, at the archives, uh, uh, I used to deal with uh, uh, a fellow there that's uh, uh, retired Navy, uh, and uh, he was uh, he, he had disability, but his mind was sharper than anything. And I would, you know, I'd go down there and I'd ask him, "Where would I find this?" And he, a couple of 
days later, he'd say, okay, why don't you look in this file here? Um, so ships, logs, and things like that. He was he, uh, Those kind of people are gone. Great. The people that knew about, you know, the Second World War and afterwards, the Korean War, they're gone. We're waiting too late, folks. We're going to have to deal yeah. with what we got, right? We're going to yeah, have so, guys in here so, talking to you. Oh, and sometimes it's not even it's not even UFOs. Barry Greenwood here, he found uh, first uh, um, Marine Air Wing uh, records for the uh, Korean War, the uh, intelligence weekly intelligence summaries. Not only did they have unidentified aircraft, they had a category saying UFO, and they. So during the Korean War, if you uh, if you go to the uh, First Air Marine Wing intelligence summaries, you will find plenty of UFOs during the Korean War in Korea or or uh, around the area, Japan and uh, in the. Um, uh, the uh, the uh, area where the uh, conflict was taking place. Um, so, uh, and that was not that didn't come about by FOIA. It was just uh, uh, Korean War veterans uh, got the Marines to release these records because they, you know, they had, uh, it was an intelligence uh, document. It had, you know, the um, summaries of uh, actions, air, uh, especially uh, air actions. But uh, like I said, it's also UFO reports contained in there. And that was not found by any ufologist. Barry actually found it online, but the, the, the veterans were the ones that got it released. Well, we want to work with the veteran organizations and all those that aren't in them because I meet a lot of, uh, when I worked with the uh, AMVETS and uh, they were trying to get me in the office to do more, I did help different groups, but the states, and uh, it's hard to explain. But what we found out is a lot of people are willing to help, but they need people to tell them what they need to do and where they need to be to do it once they're retired military our civil service, our service of any kind, police, firemen, anybody that's been willing to help their community in their locations, but they just need to know, it's sort of like first responders. You know, we need to get it organized. So maybe part of it is because we don't care if you're red, white, blue, brown, yellow, or if your name's Smith or uh, Sam is Monagich, right? <laughs> or whatever. The thing is we have people on the planet and we call them boots on the ground, that if you're not in space, but you believe we ought to be there, you're space advocates, can you help volunteer if you got time? And, you know, most of the people that are out here in all these groups and fellowship groups, uh, you know, a lot of them were the same people. I mean, I've got the intelligence on it because I was put in all these groups through uh, ACIR to learn how they all do it and why they do it and the causes and you, I can't get everybody to agree on one page as to what they want to do, 
But you and me are prior military, and so is Ken and Ahmed. And we all can see the solution is, of course, just get the job done and kiss, keep it simple, stupid. But there's a lot of people, but they've got to know where to go. So now that we've got the Internet, all right, and I found you thanks to Bruce, and uh, you found Barry thanks to you. Uh, Barry, did you find Barry or did Barry find you? Um, I, yeah, I, I think uh, I tripped over him one day. <laughs> okay. So and he's been bossing me around since then. All right. Well, this, we don't have. Oh, yeah, this is Barry. I can I can explain that, you know. Okay. Um, oh, really? I, I well, let's have... get a little history here. Go ahead. We're we're up. Uh, it must have been around 1995. Is that right, Jan? Uh, he was on a project to try to locate uh, all the press coverage he could on uh, 1947. Not not just press coverage, but anything really about the 1947 flying saucer wave, which really uh, it it only lasted, I think, a couple of weeks, two and a half weeks or so. And then it just died as quickly as it started. Uh, and, and oddly enough, uh, you know, you, you're aware of the Roswell incident, and it's presented uh, in in the media now as as the major event of 1947. But it really wasn't. It was at the tail end of that whole wave of activity. It, it started with a, a pilot, Kenneth Arnold, who said he had seen these strange objects flitting around Mount Rainier. Uh, and he, when he landed, he reported this, and the press went crazy. It, somehow they were looking for a good story, and that satisfied their needs. So that sighting, when it was reported, kicked off a whole wave of uh, other people seeing flying saucers in the sky in varying quantities, anywhere from one to dozens or even hundreds. <clears throat> but it was only towards the end of that wave of activity when Roswell was reported on uh, July 8th, and uh, it was very quickly dismissed uh, the next morning. The papers carried all sorts of uh, disclaimers about it, and that pretty much killed the wave. Uh, there were still some sighting reports coming out, but not, it, it just died. And there really wasn't a whole lot of activity after that until, uh, well, let me see, the, uh, the summer of uh, 1948. Actually, earlier, there, there was an incident involving a pilot who was killed chasing a UFO, and uh, uh, Thomas Mantell, and that's a very famous incident. That happened in January of, of that year. But uh, there were a few outbursts of activity in 48, and then it, it again quieted down until 1950. So really, uh, uh, the history is perceived as, as rather differently than what a actually happened by people now. And that has to be made clear uh, to folks. But anyway, getting back to Jan, uh, he, he was trying to research 1947, and uh, out of the blue, he called me. Uh, because he knew I was doing historical work and press searches and all, and he wanted to compare notes. And initially I was a little suspicious because I, I hadn't heard much about Jan, and I I didn't know who he was. And for all I knew, he could have been another nut trying to extract information. <laughs> oh, you so, mean he's not? 
Okay. We'll take your word for it. I didn't know he's he's not nuts, but he he I thought he might have been. So uh, <laughs> the the more I I dealt with him, the more I realized he was very serious about this, and then I I realized that it was a pretty good project he was involved with. So I cooperated with him and. Uh, the, the way it worked out, Jan would get uh, funding to go on trips uh, across North America, and when he did that, he you know he would accumulate quite a bit of information, but uh, he couldn't carry it all with him. So uh, he would send it along to me to cut and paste. Uh, they were all raw sheets of data, and they they had to be sifted down and. <laughs> and paste it up into an orderly fashion so yeah. uh he would he would periodically do this and and send the stuff along and by the time we knew it i, I think we had about three uh banker boxes full of press clippings from all over the place wow and, you're uh, flippers, huh? well yeah you had to be at that time i mean it, it, that was before the internet too so we had to actually yeah. go out to the libraries and and photocopy these things. Well, that's so, what we uh, do with the professional journalists. I'm in. We got the SPJ.org Society of Professional Journalists has trained some of our young kids coming into our weekly newspapers. If any of them are still out there, but you know, if we can keep any of our history, but keep going with your story. But you're giving me ideas because you mentioned that, and yeah. we did used to keep everything. But some of them, you'd go into the little towns in genealogy, or like me, a, a reporter, investigator, go looking in the old files, and the, they weren't there, or they didn't even uh, microfish them, right? So you're right. Well, I. I attribute a lot of credit to uh, genealogists because I think if it wasn't for them, there wouldn't be half the motivation to make the press available. Oh, the only reason we had access to it was because of the high demand by uh, genealogists looking into uh, family and other people's backgrounds. So Wonderful. we sort of rode on the coattails of that with the, the UFO reports and I remember the first time I subscribed to a clipping service, uh, I, I told the fellow what I wanted him to look for, and he kind of paused and said, well, that's different. Uh, he said, I never had anyone ask for that before. And I said, well, you do now. Wow. And they started uh, looking for that information for us. But, you know, soon after the uh, the Internet came what along. and. That? Barry, we need a. We oh, need a, I think a I think my first attempt to uh, get a clip service was, uh, well, that was 1974, and I kept that until about 1986, and then I I, uh, I had to give it up because of costs. You know, it's quite expensive to have an old clipping service like that. But you and, know, uh, I. 50 years of history, so that's good, because I remember I had Gigi in 1974, and she just passed away, so I had oh. my daughter during that whole time, but now that's good, though, because you're giving us, now, you can go back and do a history of clipping services, but then would they be able to help us know if there's still, like, records, just like the government, you know, we've got all these uh, auxiliary people that aren't in any of the vet groups, but they may be willing to help us. But give us an idea of clip service. When did they come in? You're saying you helped start the UFO well, clipping of just well, one agency? Yeah, no, Jan, you know, we were working together on finding clippings manually ourselves. But uh, 
clipping services have been used since the beginning of uh, collecting flying saucer reports. The Air Force had uh, actually subscribed to a service uh, in 1952 when they were inundated. Uh, that, that gave them a lot of information about the, with which to investigate. Uh, and it was wow. at a good time, too, because uh, the, the Air Force had generally been hostile to the subject. But for the period from late 51 to 53, they, they were overseen by a, a, a captain, Edward Ruppelt, who was rather favorable towards in, investigations into the subject. So uh, he, he brought them up a notch, and it, it really showed in 1952 when uh, you didn't see the usual debunking of UFO reports during that time. They were wide open to getting anyone and everyone to tell them what was going on in the skies. Now, that was yeah. Rupel, and and Kehoe, John Kehoe, too, down in that area, right? Well, yeah, Ruppelt, uh, he worked at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for, for Blue Book. It was essentially in a Quonset hut. It, it was nothing fancy like an office building, as, as a lot of people may think. It was it was just a, 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 an operation to monitor reports and try to explain as many as possible. That was the Air Force's goal, to uh, make sure it wasn't a, a national security problem. And you do that by... Uh, you know, debunking, dismissing reports. The good stuff, I think, uh, meaning reports that were very hard to explain by normal means probably went through other channels. And we'd like to know about those, wherever those were sent. Uh, I think a lot of that has been suppressed and unavailable. And we're, part of what we're trying to do is dig those out, too. Can I jump in here for a second? Uh, uh, I need to let these two guys here, uh, Thomas Becker and Ken R. Johnston, get in on this historical oral event because this is quite historical, folks. You probably have no idea what this means to the future, but this is what we're working towards. And the Allied Command is going to be on the backs of Jan Aldrich, Barry Greenwood, Thomas Becker and Ken Johnston right now to bring together the Allied Command for the entire world here in the United States of America because we've got to have a think tank to get people knowing how to get forward on a structure, an infrastructure, not just for bridges uh, (laughs) and uh, power, I guess, but on history. And these two gentlemen are called ufologists, Jan Aldrich and Barry Greenwood, and we're going to be the support team, but we're creating an auxiliary so we can at least start with a who's who directory as well as a list of links. And then we can't do everybody's RSS feed, but as long as our money holds out till we get some more people to help us at like $2 a month or something that just say, I'm not going to go get in the dust and papers. I'm dust mite allergic but I'll send you two bucks. So we're thinking about that. I don't get the money, neither does Ken or, or uh, Thomas or Barry or Jan, but we'll put it all together so we can have one big group to help train everybody and have an annual expo. And you can look at that at acoassociation.com as articles of bylaws with, that's the people in the health and maybe the uh, journalists, everybody in the internet, basically. You, there's nobody left out. And then, We've got the UFO side, UFO organization pulling together like all these old guys that Bruce suggested, AI guys, like you watch the men in black, and we kidded about that. 
but uh, I think he came up with a good idea. But he said, call Jan Aldrich. And Barry said he'll help us what he can, Jan uh, McAbee. Now, that's in our district of the UFO Association up north near Chicago. We got Marta Thomas up there, and we'll be talking to Samus Monagich because Sam's all about pyramids. But he has a good uh, uh, firm out of Houston where I grew up. And we got Daryl Sims and the alienologists, and they're flying these people all over to do these expos. But they're doing it for uh, gamers and people inside the Internet and costumes and book sign-ins and all that. But we're going to try to start a little, hey, you want to do some good stuff and be boots on the ground while we're talking about going to space in our new space industry and try to bring it all together. So uh, we're getting some of the old guys that are, uh, they're not, they may or may not be in AMVETS or Barry and Jan, help me out. USO post office, that means civil service, but you know what I'm talking about. They may be in a town, but we can do it by state, right? Like they did in genealogy. Barry, you know about genealogists. Give us an idea of how to get this organized, you know, because you've already uh, seen what they did. Well, I mean, I, I, I've only dealt with genealogists to the point of how they've uh, unearthed a lot of press for us to use. We, we search for an entirely different subject matter. But the, the thing is that uh, you know, people could get involved in doing this by simply going to a local library and start pouring through uh, uh, old weeklies and dailies and, and local journals to see what they can find uh, with regard to uh, uh, old aerial phenomena sighting reports. It's uh, it's not a hard thing to do, but it, it, you just need a little time to spend doing it. And uh, I don't think it really costs that much anymore either. Everything's digitized now. So uh, if each state uh, could muster up a few people to do that, that would be a big help. And they could uh, forward the reports they find to, you know, central locations or, or either one of us or other groups. CUFOS uh, is still an organization, is still active. I would suggest anyone take a look at CUFOS.org, and they can see a lot of fine information on the subject that's been developed and refined over the years. So uh, that, that's an immediate thing that could be done that, that would be useful. Okay, so you're saying we still have some people that uh, we can use as far as electronic uh, information for information services. And now these organizations yeah. that have some directors left for annual meetings, do they do newsletters or monthly magazines, so, bi-monthly yeah, magazines? Does yeah, Kufos doesn't do a publication anymore, but they, they have a, a raft of old records posted online at kufos.org that uh, I think would be very helpful and useful to people who are trying to learn how to deal with the subject. Okay, so we'll put their their link. Ed, you got Kufos. And Heineck, I met him in a, in a plane, believe it or not. <laughs> I met William Tompkins in a hangar, and I met Jay Allen Heineck in a, over over up in the sky. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got to drop a bunch of names in here, Barry and Jan. Give us uh, – I agree with you. We will promote KUFOs as a link and possibly – do they have an RSS feed attached to their uh, – 
what do they have? They have a database. They have uh, what do they have inside cyberspace? Do they have well, an there's office? There's a variety of uh, of databases that you can pull from uh, the menu that that's on the uh, main page for the site. They have historical reports, some books that have been reproduced that that they had produced in the past. Uh, back issues of their journal, IUR, it stood for International UFO Reporter, and uh, how to investigate sightings, basic, simple things that can be done, and then it, it gets deep into the weeds with uh, you know, old reports that have long been forgotten, but they're, they're up there and they're still fascinating even years after they've happened. You want to add anything, Jan? Hey, um, uh, I, I, I heard somebody trying to uh, get in edgewise here, uh, one of your producers. Okay. Could you let him have the floor for a second? Sure. Yeah, that was that was me, uh, TJ, because they, they hit on a, a term, a debunking, that made me want to jump in real fast and see if they had run into problems where when you were bringing some of this information forward, such as what I did, I, I had saved the archive of records from the Apollo program as things that were behind the, the records uh, to start making it available. And I got attacked. I got accused of everything in the world. I'm, one, one particular gentleman, James Oldberg, which I don't mind mentioning his name, he needs all the credit he can get for, for what he has been doing to try to debunk getting the truth and facts out. Because my records, I have documents and everything from the government and from NASA and you name it that uh, supported the information that I made available. What I finally did, and I kind of recommend for other people, you guys can chime in and say if this is a way to go about it. But by them going into the debunking and trying to, to get you in a lot of uh, people in a lot of trouble, what I did is I, I digitally scanned uh, hundreds and hundreds of documents and took them to um, the UFO Research Center in uh, Roswell and uh, donated them free for them to keep in their records and archive, as well as to a couple of different universities that I'd belonged to. And that sort of stopped most of the attacks that I was getting, although when I would go overseas and uh, give lectures and talks at conferences and events and things like that, I, I was I was uh, really attacked good when I was over in uh, India. And uh, I, my wife was didn't hear from me for 36 hours. And there was a, because they went, they came behind the scene and tried to say I was a, a liar and that everything I was saying was not that. And I wasn't really who I said I was and et cetera. But have you guys run into any problems like that where you're you're bringing up all the facts and information having to do with um, contact, extraterrestrials, and events and things that have taken place? I, I'd be very interested to see what you guys may have run into from being debunked, so to speak. Well, <clears throat> now uh, ufology has gone into, a, I would say, a decline uh, it's, it doesn't seem as important to, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say skeptics, because I'm a skeptic. That's what I am. I'm a skeptic. I, uh, I, I, have, high stand, I have high standards for what I, you know, what I uh, believe in. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, when... Uh, Let's say in the 80s and 90s, when uh, Psychop first started out, uh, if you uh, were interested in UFOs or something, you were a threat to Western civilization, and they actually said that a couple of times. Uh, so, 
uh yeah so i've I've run into that and uh uh i had uh, i had this one fellow he wrote an article he's a skeptic and he said well you know ufos have uh evolved through the uh uh you know f- first they started just being like uh uh, doing aerobatics and then later on they started doing more things and he says it's just a uh it's a plastic phenomenon and when i of course when i did 1947 i said no almost everything that you encounter in today's ufology you co- encountered in 1947 you know, people are constantly telling me oh you didn't have any close encounters back then it was all f- <coughs> It was all way off in the uh, uh, way far away, and I said no. That just that just shows that uh, just looking at the uh, at the record, which you know thousands of uh, thousands and thousands of newspaper reports, the same thing that exists now or existed through the whole thing is exists existed at the beginning um so yeah yeah i'm thinking so have you ever they come directly and try to discredit you based upon uh, your your experience or your your um uh, credibility your education yeah they they, you know name calling and things like that that's that that's quite common um they don't want to argue with me because uh uh actually they think that 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 people involved in you uh with UFOs are uh ignorant and don't know history or science or things like that and like I said they don't want to come and argue with me or Barry because we yeah. do know history um i'm finding a lot of things uh, i'm finding some of the veterans organizations that are putting uh uh, things from my website that involve their, especially the Air Force guys, in, that involve their um, uh, their pilots. They're actually quoting, you know, they they you know they say, oh, this guy found these things uh, about the uh, squadron history and they they quote me because that's what I do I try to put up the actual documents that I found so I right. I got there's several uh, organizations veterans organizations that have actually quoted my website <laughs> and uh yeah I get things like this you know uh um I knew Colonel Poland he was a fine gentleman uh I see you mention them on your website, and they go ahead and tell me about their their interaction with uh, with this guy during their career. <laughs> well, that's, so that's kind that's of an, uh, that's kind of an interesting thing. So, I also builds a little credibility, which doesn't hurt. Well, that's one of the things what I was trying to get across is it with between us and the, those that are coming forward to get the word out to everyone who may have had experience or may have some of the information and data that have been uh, debunked or have been squashed in the background. And, and they fear 
uh, the discrediting that comes with uh, them trying to shut us up, so to speak, that by having us linked together, we get much more strength and abilities to, to get people to come forward and right. bring in more data, more documentation. That's, that's where our advantage of uh, forming this organization to bring in the others to, to help give, give a safe zone where people have been holding back records and information. Because in, in my case, you know, I had a top secret, and we, were, we kept things absolutely silent for decades and decades. And finally, you, know, you get to the point once you've found other things, you come forward with that information. You have to deal with what kind of text. But there, there is a certain limit in time that I think people have to look at and say, hey, I've waited long enough because they've, they've just not the government and or the organizations haven't come forward in telling the truth of what we were involved in and what was happening. And it's, it's the only thing we can do is just encourage them to, to get with us and come forward. And, uh, you know, the, the truth shall set you free is my, uh, uh, my, my motto. Okay. Yeah. yeah the, um, Ed, want to get involved here with uh, what you're doing to uh, help wow, science? We're doing real good. Y'all are doing real good, I think. <laughs> well, I, I find it quite interesting. Yeah, you know, the um, uh, one of the best cases on uh, it's it's uh, Minot Air Force Base. Um, it's got its own website. We uh, uh, we spent. Uh, a lot of money, a lot of traveling, and a lot of interviews, and uh, uh, got people that are uh, experts in radar involved in this case and everything. But uh, uh, like I say, it was a B-52 uh, uh, case where the uh, uh, the UFO interfered with uh, uh, its radio systems and uh, followed it and the guys in B-52 have a lot of resources, and uh, uh, they took pictures of the uh, radar pictures. So those those can be analyzed. And in one case, they had the UFO going over um, uh, thousands of miles an hour while it's trailing this uh, B-52. So... Uh, so when we interviewed these guys, we were able to, to uh, round up all the crew members one after another, find out, uh, we found out who they were, and we were able to talk to them afterwards. And asked, asked one guy, he says, uh, why are you guys, uh, you know, this, this, was, this was classified at one time. Why are you guys talking about it now? And he says, because we won the Cold War. And we can say something about it now. So they, you know, they, they, you know, they really feel they, you know, they had a part in the fall of the Soviet Union and everything. So, um, uh, they didn't take the information to their graves like a lot of people have. That's right. And that, uh, 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 this young guy that at the time he was young is about 1957. He he uh, he came upon these uh, people at the side of the road, which were watching this UFO in this 
field and was really close to, and his car was affected by it. And all these other people, that's the reason they were there. They couldn't drive away because uh, their cars were stopped. So he watched this and he made notes and he went to his boss. And, you know, the boss took the information but never reported it to any of his superiors. Uh, Just... uh, this one uh, professor at the University of Arizona just happened to be interested in it, and he got wind of this case. And uh, he went to talk to the man's superiors and uh, said, how come you didn't report this up? This is, this is scientifically important. Why did you, why did you uh, suppress this? And they said, well, our reputations. So we don't want to yeah. be involved with it all. They were going to carry it to the grave, but this guy did it. Now, uh, um, one of the guys I worked for, uh, he was out on a, what was called the line island, uh, line island experiment. What they did is they had weather teams go out to Christmas Island and some of the other islands out there and – one of the early weather sites they had it over the uh over the islands there and it was like a a test and a calibration and everything they were taking uh um uh weather readings on the ground and then the weather satellite seeing how you know how how well these things this information could be used together well christmas island doesn't have any there's just very few visitors by air there. And um, uh, like I say, my old boss there, he was out there taking a weather observation and he's seeing these lights and he plays his flashlight towards them. And uh, the uh, lights uh, start dancing around and come towards him. And he says, oh, it's the, just the Coast Guard pilot that brought us out here fooling around. And he looked down. Uh, in the cove there, and the, the plane was on the, uh, sitting in the water there, and so he, so the, when he reported that, most of the scientists said, "Okay, well, that's great, and don't say another thing about it." Uh, there's another fellow that uh, had a similar experience at one of the other places just before that. Um, once again, Dr. McDonald got wind of that. One of the scientists uh, that was involved uh, told him, hey, uh, we, had, uh, we had a UFO sighting out there on Christmas Island. He said, I doubt that anything survives. Well, McDonald, he just went ahead and looked. He got the weather forms from out there. And sure enough, my, uh, my colleague there had gone ahead and recorded it on the uh, – on the weather forum, the Wayband 12, he just recorded what had happened, and so uh, the uh, the material survived. But yeah, nobody was nobody was wanting to stick their neck out. Yep, that's what that's why I came forward is to give take a little bit of the brunt, and then make it a lot easier for other people to come forward with the information they have. They, they need to do that because if, if you die, it goes with you, unfortunately. Well, let's make it public. Right. 
Barry and Jan, can I ask you a question about uh, Tucson and 63 files? Because as far as I know, uh, a couple of the gentlemen that helped us back in the day uh, with events was, uh, uh uh-oh, somebody fell off. Uh, Okay. Uh, I need to ask you, do you have anything on the 15 copies that were issued in Europe over in Brussels of the uh, tornado area or shape that uh, Bob Brown talked about? Bob Dean? Maybe it's Bob oh, Dean. Excuse me. I'm getting people mixed up. I, I was punching a button. I was trying to multitask. Hold on just a second. Ken, are you back on? Yes, I punched the wrong button again. Give me my my spacecraft and airplanes back, and I'll I'll do a better job than these these modern cell phones. They cause me problems. I know, and you call yourself a pilot or a or a AI an AI pilot, right? <laughs> we got a lot Whatever of you want to call me, just call me in time for dinner. I'll be good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Ken. Uh, he's Ken's over in Albuquerque. Yeah, I'm talking about his district. Uh, Bob Dean has passed from Tucson. I picked up another gentleman in that area, Augie Nost, for uh, he's been on a television show for spiritual science, but with uh, Mikio Kaku. And uh, I work with a lot of scientists and uh, people in neurology, phenomenologists, and also quantum physics and uh, theoretical physicists. But uh, one of the programs that got involved with some of our veterans, uh, and I was not around. I've never been to a UFO event. I've only spoke as authors' events like MidSouthCon in Memphis uh, and then local here events. But uh, no UFO, just so you guys know, that's why I'm not considered a ufologist or uh, uh, entertainer, I guess one might say, that does those. Uh, uh, but what I'm saying, not I mean, I love those for entertainment education. They're great. But uh, – I know Bob Dean got one started with a gentleman in Tucson, and I was wondering if you guys can do any oral history because Bob Dean passed, but he gave one of our uh, ACO associates at one of those UFO congresses $500 to start the Stargate to the Cosmos. She gave it back because he got ill, and uh, at that time the contract was at the same location as the International UFO Congress. So they had a conflict of interest on contract. But uh, that was okay. He understood. But we're, we took us seven years to get that done with Ken. So Ken and Janet had it in Albuquerque. But do you know anything about him or the 15 files? Because I've got the inch and a half thick, and I know my husband and I worked over in Europe, and I worked in a vault. So, Barry, if you and Jan are both military or post office, when we're in those vaults, you can't bring anything out at all. But I understood that Bob got a copy, which I used to do. So his story is familiar to me. When uh, and my husband did the same thing, a lot of us worked in intelligence, so we worked in the vaults. Those aren't where you can get them outside of the vault, and uh, you're just not going to get them. But uh, did you guys figure out a way to get something out of uh, where we put in the Pentagon way deep? Because we do do that. I don't. You can't even get a clearance to get down there. But have you guys gotten any kind of clearance like that? 
in the vaults? I, 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 when I was in the military, I didn't see anything about UFOs. My job was was intelligence and security for a while. No, I didn't see anything about UFOs. The stuff we found is going to the archives and finding things. And it, uh, a lot of it's, you know, hide in plain sight. It's it's there. And like I said, turning pages. Turn over the pages. So it has and a lot of this stuff has been declassified, but no... Nobody's made a big deal about it, so it's there. And uh, uh, um, FOIA is one thing, but going to the actual archives and looking through there, that's another thing. Maybe, or can you guys help us? Who decides uh, in the NATO level or the joint or the... Supreme now you're talking about something that he called the assessment, right? Well, he said he had a he he a he said he worked at NATO that. headquarters and he, he uh, while he was on duty he got to read that thing. Well, I, uh, I I'll tell you what, um, the uh, his uh, boss the head of the, the head of there. the British the head of the British. Uh, military. Uh, Didn't know about it. Lord Hill Norton uh, tried to track that document down. Oh, yeah. And his assessment was it did not exist, that it was a good story, but it didn't exist. I would have to disagree with that. Well, uh, uh, he and uh, Timothy Good, who's uh, what what, – what I say is uh, Tim is a believer's believer. They went way beyond where anybody had to go to find out if it existed. And like they I said, said this copies were very, very careful. Like me and my husband did that. We were under orders, what they call hip pocket orders. It's not made known. And if the people that I've been able to research thus far were real, but uh, when I worked in intelligence in Europe, we call it the European theater, the kind of work we did, uh, we weren't in uniform. We got signed temporary active. But when I worked in a vault, that's different. And that was strictly on classified documents. And they're kept completely separate from anybody that's walking around in a uniform. But my husband and I both had that kind of job. It's sort of, It's very in deep. And uh, sometimes, if you were really that bored, because it's a very boring job sitting in a vault, and my husband too, but when he came later, they could actually do some uh, hacking into the other government computers for fun. And uh, U.S. Army S1 or S2. Did you work S2, Jan? I, uh, well, I, I, I worked in nuclear and, oh, uh, you had nukes. That's what a man. And, man. and I was also an intelligence sergeant. As far as I'm concerned, uh, it's uh, what what's in the what's in the vaults. To me, it's like Vegas. It stays in Vegas, and that's what okay. I. Every everybody I outbriefed, it didn't matter if they had a clearance or not, because they had 
just by being in the unit, they had classified information, even if they didn't know it. I told them, I said, hey, when you leave Germany here, uh, you could talk about uh, how the uh, how the women are and all the places you went to and uh, uh, <laughs> the food you ate, but everything else, forget about it. Just yeah, tell your tell your friends you forget you don't remember what it was like. That's what I used to say. <laughs> well, yeah, that was debriefing. I got to do that too. So that was beyond the fifties and sixties. But folks, back in the day, it was pretty tight. That was in Lindenston, and that was the Supreme Headquarters. But that was in Paris, and they moved it over to Brussels. But that was over a French altercation we had. Somebody felt like he lost faith over there in France, you know. But uh, you know, a lot of people know. There's a lot of uh, top secret, and they just don't have access. The men in the uniforms usually don't. And then you have the cryptos, and you have the people like uh, Jan here and uh, the Navy guy here, Thomas Becker, that worked on a Navy ship. And they did have nuclear. And nuclear is a whole different group of people, and they still have them today. And uh, there's no telling how many different uh, code names they have because – you have to be compartmentalized. Uh, Jan, tell them about compartmentalized, what you're finding, because you said you can only do a Freedom of Information Act only that you guys have, but that's a lot. No, the other thing is there's another thing you can do is mandatory uh, de- declassification. If, it, if it's gone past its uh, – um, uh, a number of things in the military are uh, actually uh, prior systems to Reagan had a declassification uh, date. And so if it hasn't been declassified, you could ask for uh, for a review so it can be uh, uh, declassified. Um, yeah, I was strictly Reagan. Uh, Reagan, Reagan just did uh, just did this. Reagan was the, after after the uh, after the um, uh, uh, Pentagon Papers. Reagan just did this. Everything right. that that's done after uh, during my administration and afterwards, it's classified forever. <laughs> now, if you don't need it, destroy it. I did say that. It, and if uh, if you uh, uh, if you have any question about whether it's declassified or not, the guy that made the thing up, you contact him and say, "Is this still classified?" And it, you know he will determine whether it's classified or not. Because that's what they had with the Pentagon Papers. There were a lot of documents that shouldn't have been classified that were, and you know. Uh, the expert at the Pentagon, when they had the trial, uh, they had him look at some documents. And he said, "I don't know if these are classified or not." So Reagan, Reagan put that policy into effect, which is very simple. Uh, yeah, we actually trained people in my era of time. Even though I got in in '67 with the uh, advisory council. And uh, doing this with NASA and uh, out of Washington and the intelligence communities, you know, 50 years putting the pieces together, I finally realized why I was telling people that I was classifying it and uh, why people that had clearances and were 
making sure they protected clearances would ask me who I was because I could come on and get an instant clearance. So I soon learned that the people that classify the documents carry a lot of weight, Jan. <laughs> But you had to be trained, right? And so one of the silly things was uh, what you just said exactly during the Reagan era, because I had to tell some guys that had it, and I was working with all the embassies around the world to uh, one guy tear it up and flush it down the commode. And I was like, are you serious? We do that? <laughs> so, you you know, that there's a lot of truth to these stories that the people know. I wonder if that's going to come out, too, because there's a lot of good stories of people that were prior military, whether they're really willing to share them or not. Right, Jan? So what do you yeah. think about us getting the auxiliary going with uh, Thomas Becker and Ken R. Johnston? Do you think that's a good idea for people like you and me? If we start putting all the puzzle pieces together, we might find out why some things we have and some things we don't. And then we find what you guys are doing. I mean, we may wind up being a pretty good organization before we leave the planet, so to speak, as old guys. What do you think, Jim? Well, I'm just, uh, like I said, my my main thing is preservation right now. Good. And that's, I figure that's that'll take me till I'm in the ground. <laughs> so I, I, oh, I can't I, I can't start a lot of uh, new projects. Um, New projects. Uh, now, I uh, within preservation, I think there's a lot of things. Like I told you about those 1,100 uh, intelligence products. I'd like to see a lot of them are uh, known to be UFO related. Uh, some of them are, you know, maybe. I, I mean, I, I know about this one intelligence. Uh, uh, report that said uh, uh, unknown sightings over Greenland January 1947 well that just that just screams UFOs if you think about it but when I when we actually got the uh, the material in the document it was nothing it was nothing about UFOs it was just an interesting uh, um, uh, into about uh, sightings on the ground and in the air over Greenland, but they were not, they were like aircraft or people saw um, contrails or they saw, uh, (coughs) they saw uh, submarines or something like that. So that's, that's what that uh, report contained. And then some innocuous report within, uh, with a, title that doesn't sound anything like UFOs uh, may contain UFOs like uh, um, uh, incidents occurring during weather reconnaissance flights uh, over the Atlantic. Okay, so yeah. I, 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 I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a uh, series of those reports and started looking yeah. through them. And these guys were encountering UFOs all the time, and they never made it to Blue Book. That's so, so interesting. So you're willing to work on anything that's come into your uh, foresight or your knowledge of information as far as preservation. 
And I would like to have the things of people that worked like me in a vault or this guy, Bob Dean, I, his story, because I know of the people in the intelligence community that never were known in the military. Matter of fact, the military was our cover. If you well, know let, I mean. let's see. When we went to pick up uh, our, our products, I won't tell you what they are, but when <laughs> okay. we went to pick up our products, uh, what, what, there's this guy with a beard and, uh, he, he, uh, he looks like a German hippie <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, he looks like a German hippie. He doesn't look like any, you know, one of these peace guys okay. and uh, he, he's driving a laundry van. They got a, it's yeah. a laundry van. And, 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 uh, his assistant there, I mean, he, he, he just looks like, he, uh, uh, he's, he's one of these, uh, uh, guys that they couldn't hurt a fly. And then the other, uh, the woman there, now she was a young woman and, uh, every, in the summertime, at least she never wore any shoes. So we get a call. Meet us over by Third Division headquarters. We've got we've got a shipment for you. So we go over there, and the first time these guys came out there, I said, I said, how the hell did these guys, these people, get on this compound? And then we found out who they were, and you know what they were there for, and they they felt. Usura decided that they just blend in as look like uh, German civilians that are uh, driving a laundry truck around. Yeah, that's there's all kind of levels of the government that people don't realize, but usually somebody will know. And I know that President Reagan didn't know all of it, but he was informed of some of it. But they have the intelligence communities, right? Not to mention the uh, what we call what the military industrial complex that Eisenhower told us about. There's a lot to that, isn't it? It's changed history. So we'll have to do this some more, but Jan, you and Barry are doing a great job and uh, we need a whole lot of people like you to get the history because anything after, like you said, Reagan, which I was in that era. And unless you guys worked in vault and saw how the entire world worked together as the allied command, you may think just because you were in a uniform and you know your job, you may have been doing a job as a cover for something that was really going on, not to mention the intelligence behind it. We had a lot of dog and pony shows, which are still happening in politics. But unless you're in that level of, of intelligence or you've been chosen to work that kind of stuff, you don't know about it. you know. And I was fortunate enough to be chosen and groomed from the time I was a little kid to go through all these different groups and countries and learn how it all put together for this reason, I think. Jan, I really think that I was supposed to talk to you. My name's Jan, and uh, Jan, uh, Bruce McAbee's wife, McAbee's wife is Jan, and then there's Jan Harzan. So Jan Harzan runs MUFON. I'm doing this, whatever, for ACIR, for ACO and UFO, and Barry's been doing this for his group and you for your group and Kufan and bringing all these acronyms together. I believe something bigger than us is probably in charge of putting us all together because if we don't do it, 
we're going to lose the history. Now, what do you think of Richard Dolan real quick? Do you think he's a true historian and did the best he could with the time he had? Because he's a young feller. <laughs> Any opinion? Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I liked his, uh, uh, you know, in his book, he had the, uh, um, the, the timeline. Yeah. Okay, so you like the history. I, I, I like the timeline. So, uh, George Everhart, uh, um, went ahead and, uh, refined that timeline. So all, almost unrecognizable for, uh. I, I don't think Dolan would recognize it now, but uh, he refined the timeline with uh, with uh, uh, a lot of other events and uh, references, and uh, he uh, uh, he let me uh, he let me see it, and I said, "Geez, I'd like to use that for uh, an update." And yeah. He said, well, I'll go there. ahead and use it, and so uh, so I've got my now I've got the. Uh, the third generation, somebody else working on it. Uh, so that I thought that uh, her his timeline it was a good idea and his uh, um, uh, it was a start. So I, I you know, I, I, I'll say that uh, uh, is a is a useful uh, tool. Well, we're going to follow um, your lead, Barry Greenwood and Jan Aldrich's folks, historians, archivists. Ufologists, they're also going to help us, I hope, with uh, who's who, and then Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, Coast Guard, uh, the new Air Force Space, uh, NASA, civilians, post office workers. Don't go postal on us, folks. We're trying to do the part of we're open-minded, but we're all good, good folks, you know. We're going to try to get all these associations and find out what they want to do, and maybe we can split up the work. Not all of us can be the boots on the ground some of us got to be up there in space but if we work together maybe we can accomplish both uh barry greenwood and jan aldrich i hope we'll have you back and that you don't mind being a couple of the volunteer people that tell other people how to do it because <laughs> you've been there done that got that t-shirt how about that <laughs> i'll get you one even i'll buy you one <laughs> jan aldrich barry greenwood t-shirt Let's see, J, A, and B, G. Sort of like the B, G's. <laughs> you know, you guys don't play music, do you? No. No. <laughs> well, it's you think uh, after you guys music. get off of this mission or this uh, project that you can uh, make some notes on how to do it, make sure we keep up the basics like index, get the links of all the people you guys know, give me some names of who's who, and I'll do the typing. I'm going to be your virtual assistant and start typing those things in. And if they'll pull up, if you guys are willing to pay for your domains and uh, have an RSS feed attached, it'll pull up you know, like my radio, the last few radio shows I did, right? But I keep 300 on file on the Spreaker, and uh, I keep every one I've done for seven years right here on Blog Talk. So Blog Talk's great for history, folks. We hope to get you guys back, Jan and Barry, and we'll be back here tomorrow night, folks, with uh, Ken R. Johnston and Thomas A. Becker when they're trying to put together the ACO. Jan, can I have you and Barry back, you think, when you, got, you get back home? We can interview you from your homes. 
Yeah, I don't. I see no reason. All right, yeah, folks. Well, Barry, you don't mind because you got a good voice. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Like, remember, drop names, folks. They're going to be busy for two weeks. We may can do this uh, again next week before they leave. But if they they say we don't want any oral history, we'll just get them when they get home and get to catch up on all the who's who. They'll have plenty of times to make names while they're sitting there next to each other and going, Barry, don't forget this person. And Jan, Barry, you say, Jan, don't forget this person. we got to drop names on that radio show. Who's who in ufology? That's <laughs> all right. right. Well, Jerry Luke's uh, Revolution Radio, KCOR, KGR, whoever, Tune in to all our talk radio shows and look for Jan Aldrich and Barry Greenwood, our lead history investigators with ACO UFO Club. Good night, folks. Barry, Jan, Thomas, who else I miss? Barry, Jan, Thomas. Oh, Ken, thank you, everybody. Uh, Thank you for serving. Uh, We appreciate your service. We appreciate you working for the post office and not going postal. But we want to hear y'all's stories. So this is what I do. I just click stories. And I love it with your voice. And by the way, Thomas does oral books. Uh, I encourage you to do them if you've got the voice for it. Or we'll get you a place. And you can be on another book if you want to. If you want to write a book, let us know. All right, folks. We're going to do our best to learn from these here historians. So y'all come back and see us now. You hear? Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. That's a wrap. Did it go off? Cool.